This talk is called Heart, Mind and the Practice of the Zen Way. Uh, please sit uh, comfortably. Uh, heart mind comes from Japanese and Chinese uh, sources um, and uh, heart mind is uh, that uh, heart includes mind and mind includes heart. Uh, this is a really rich and fruitful uh, notion to explore uh, in Zen and is deeply allied uh, to the Zen way. I found this beautiful font uh, which I was working in today which is really soft on the eyes and uh, really easy but it prints um, at half the size and about uh, twice the lightness so I'm actually struggling a little bit here at the moment so if I improvise um, I hope you will understand. So heart mind in Chinese is Shin. And uh, in Japanese, it's shin o kokoro, uh, kokoro, uh, which sounds so beautiful, it's like a, like, like a Japanese nightingale, <laughs> kokoro, uh, heart mind. So, and it has three uh, meanings, the heart and its functions, in this case feeling and uh, emotion, uh, mind and its function, thinking, reflecting, uh, formination, and uh, all of the rest. Uh, and has a sense of centre or essence is the third sense. This is the, the large sense of heart-mind. Hmm. And the one that, uh, it's this last function of heart-mind with its implications of encountering uh, our essential nature and the deepening and maturing of that experience uh, that we associate um, with the Zen way. However, uh, when we engage with the way and integrate it into our life, we detect profound changes in feeling, outlook and engagement with the world relating to all the meanings of heart-mind. So the meaning of, uh, of, of just simply as heart, just simply as mind and then as centre and essence. When we practice and experience uh, the deepening of the way in our lives, then all of that is in play um, together. Heart-mind is a conception that speaks for the richness and depth of our Chinese and Japanese heritage, uh, as well as for, as for the depth of our humanity uh, that opens up when the way opens for us. Uh, and this happens regardless of our culture, our gender or our educational uh, levels or social status indeed. Uh, at the same time, our heart is our heart and our mind is our mind. 
um, uh, the heart drives uh, blood through our body uh, and our mind or our brain um, secretes thoughts uh, like our stomach secretes pepsin, as Robert Aitken used to say. So the, the brain, in this case, secretes thoughts like the stomach secretes pepsin. There's a little um, heart-mind, the integration of mind and heart speaks for the place where oppositions melt. Most especially, it speaks from the place beyond the dualism of thinking and feeling that is so at the core of our Western culture. That's the ancient head versus heart uh, stuff. Um, it's, I think it's deeply in, in many cultures, but it's, very, it's been very strong in the West. Um, in terms of this, uh, my cat is all feeling, and uh, when I she has this uh, privilege of, uh, well, she's taken the privilege of sleeping on the bed at night, and uh, this can be wonderful when it's cold and you get warm with possum uh, sleeping there. But she moves around a lot, you know, and sometimes she wants to actually uh, sit on me, you know. So this is uh, when I'm trying to sleep and I'm saying, mine is all thinking, like, I've got this talk tomorrow night and if I don't get any sleep, I will be battling to do this talk tomorrow night. And there's possum just trying to snuggle up, you know, and moving around and all of that. So I think we all live uh, thinking and feeling all mixed up uh, together. Um, and Edward, Eduardo Galeano, in uh, his book called the, the Book of Embraces, I've been quoting from this book for 25 years and I still haven't even begun to exhaust uh, its wisdom, so I'm going to quote a little story or a little observation from there tonight. It's called The Celebration of the Marriage of Heart and Mind. Why does one write if not to put one's pieces together? That's a good question. Uh, you know, when we write, when we create, we put our pieces uh, together. All those parts of us that are, in a way, split off or disregarded can be actually brought uh, into contact with other parts. From the moment we enter school or church, education chops us into pieces. It teaches us to divorce soul from body and mind and mind from heart. The fishermen of the Colombian coast must be learned doctors of ethics and morality, for they invented the word um, senti pensante, feeling thinking, to define language that speaks the truth. Senti pensante. I, must, I have no Spanish, but I think that's roughly how it, it goes. Uh, feeling thinking to define language that speaks the truth. Now what is language that speaks the truth? That's when you speak from your heart, when you speak um, as your whole being. Um, each of us embodies and conveys the universe. Not one of us uh, is the tool of another uh, when we live truly. In this spirit, we don't use others other people are not a means to an end. 
When we speak from heart-mind, when we speak heart-mind, our words tell the truth, as when we say, I love you, and mean it. Or vow to support another person, or make a promise. When leaders speak in the dojo, when getting people to speak in the dojo, which is a, is a big step uh, in Sushin, um, in practice, um, I always say pause, uh, uh, drop your awareness and your voice uh, into your gut and speak from there. Uh, often we speak from here, or I suppose from here, you know, in a way, but uh, when you operate from your gut, uh, you're, and I don't just mean gut sense, I mean when practice is alive and you operate from here, you experience the world in a very different way. Then your words carry feeling and weight. Uh, they become an expression of the whole person. They are an expression of the whole you. And that whole you is rather large, indeed. In heart mind, thought and feeling happily coexist in the vastness that is each of us. When you're practicing, when you're doing zazen, it's good to drop your awareness uh, into your hara, uh, which is roughly three, three fingers width below your, your navel. Um, actually, the area is quite large, but that's a good way of locating or getting a location point. Um, so your centre of awareness is here, uh, not here at your nostrils or here in your head. And uh, over time it begins to transform your life. And this is the same whether you're working on a koan or doing shikantasa or working with the breath or with silent elimination or another practice. Um, the centre of awareness is here. So when that instruction goes out, we tend to think, uh, if I'm not in my head, um, everything will be slowed down. My thinking will be really slow. But actually, when you're functioning from here, um, response and thinking is instantaneous. There is no gap uh, at all. When we function from here, we experience thinking and feeling, and indeed the world, in a, a very different kind of way. Uh, everything functioning uh, from here. So, Thinking and feeling, uh, heart and mind, uh, are deeply intertwined. Uh, a lot of our thinking is driven from below, uh, which is to say it's driven by our feeling, uh, uh, often our unacknowledged feeling. Uh, people tend to drive this case very hard and say all thinking is driven by feeling, but that may not be the case. But Certainly a lot of the repetitive thinking that comes up so strongly in our Zazen 
uh, because we are open to it and we are aware of it. It's also it's driven from a, a base of feeling. Um, often this is feeling that needs our attention, something unresolved. And uh, I mean, the mind is so um, thought can become so repetitive. Um, in a way so redundant to anything that looks like a purpose. Uh, the same thoughts come back over and over and over again. Um, it's almost like interior nature. Nature is generous in this way too. You know, grasses go on blooming as long as it's possible for them to bloom. Weeds keep coming up. It's a famous image from the Zen tradition. Um, uh, regardless of what we feel uh, about them. And thinking is a little bit like that as well. Extremely generous. So it's good to drop into your body and find out what's happening at the level of uh, feeling and sensation there. Uh, what's happening in your heart? Mm. What's happening in your gut? Uh, tensions around the neck, tensions around the jaw also um, indicate um, you know, feeling, feelings of various kinds. So in that way we drop our awareness and find out what is actually happening. Um, it's good to, if you're feeling sad uh, in your heart, to be able to include the sadness in your field of awareness. Which means that you li literally bring your attention and cradle that, your heart and that feeling. Uh, does, does it include, does it have a boundary? Uh, is it warm? Is there a colour association? Um, and with that kind of attention, it helps the intensity of feeling. Sadness is not a great example here. Anger might be a better. Uh, example, but it helps it to uh, subside uh, and to disperse and we can get some release uh, from simply bringing our attention to the part of the body which is hurting. Because the body carries pain uh, literally from emotion just as it carries physical pain. Um, so uh, bringing attention to what is there is really, really helpful and sometimes the endless cycles of thought and stories will die down uh, correspondingly with that. So uh, this is a talk on heart-mind but it's also a talk on some strategies in practice that are helpful. Um, uh, some of you are going into Sushin and uh, especially on the, the long days of Sushin where you pass through many cycles.
uh, some of these strategies uh, are helpful. So what is your heart-mind of right now? Tiredness, candlelight, people in the dojo, warmth, dry mouth, This leads to the practice of shikantas. What I'm telling you there is not shikantaza itself. This practice is based in vipassana uh, traditions, but we, we certainly draw on uh, the practice of bringing your awareness and attention to the body um, in Zen as well. The term shikantaza is defined as uh, just sitting, or more precisely, nothing but Precisely sitting is the literal sense of shikantaza. Or as Dogen put it, doing wholehearted zazen or single-minded sitting. These definitions are very precise and they're hard to read at the moment. So, But that's the sense of it. Um, nothing but precisely sitting. Right, so uh, here you are, you... Pay attention to the body as it sits there in its solidity. Mental and physical reactions come and go uh, moment by moment and you include them in your field of awareness. Shikantasa is the practice of the present moment in its fastness. You sit the universe and it sits you. You think there is a boundary there, but that boundary is a made-up boundary, you and the universe. You are not seeking anything uh, in that immensity and embodying that immensity. What would you seek? What would you seek outside of that? At the more limited levels, you are not seeking benefits uh, from sitting, although immense benefits flow from doing zazen, but you are not seeking that in the meditation, uh, nor are you seeking enlightenment in shikantaza meditation. You just attend to and finally unite with what is there in the vastness of the heart-mind, breath, sound, sensation feeling, thinking, feeling and thinking there is heart-mind. Uh, that five-ring circus, there's a breath, sound, sensation, feeling, thinking, uh, is in session, moment by moment. You might also include smell and when you're doing zazen, the limited visual input that you have is also there, but predominantly sound. 
so that there is no cutting off of thinking and feeling in shikantaza. Uh, you allow it to be just as it is. Dogen called shikantaza the practice, he called it um, the Dharma gate of ease and joy. Okay. You sit with what is there. You don't manipulate it. And you don't cut it off. It's a very challenging practice. It's the simplest practice of all. You just sit with what is. What, what could be simpler? But it is a lifetime uh, practice. It takes effort, uh, although he calls it the Dharma gate of ease and joy, there is effort involved, the effort of coming back. When you do that, you transform your life in all kinds of ways. Uh, it's easier to be present in difficult situations. That's a great test of practice. Okay. Uh, over time, very slowly, without your wishing or your willing it necessarily, and without being able to see the process. We're all obsessed with process. How does it work? What really happens in that? Most of it's invisible. You just do the practice and the rest looks after itself. So, you know, when you are in a situation which, where you are being uh, criticised, uh, for instance, um, I think it enables us to be more inclusive of what is happening. Um, uh, sometimes that is easy and fulfilling and sometimes it's difficult and challenging. It used to be said in San Francisco, maybe it's still said that if you want to get someone to build a house for you, who's already a builder, I have to say, uh, make sure you get someone who does shikantaza practice. You can rely on a good result. If you're starting out on Shikantara, it's good to keep the breath at the centre of the practice for the first few years. Um, so when you get lost, coming back to your breath. Come back to whatever brings you back, but if you really are lost, come back to your breathing and uh, then widen the aperture of your awareness so it includes sounds, so that it includes sensations and thinking and feeling. There are two important senses of mind and they're both in play when we talk about heart-mind. We don't get a better. Um, one is in the ordinary sense of the mind that thinks. Uh, there's this uh, line in the ten verse sutra of timeless life. Thought after thought arises in the mind. Thought after thought, not separate from mind. 
So the, this is the mind where thought after thought arises. This is our ordinary experience of mind. The other sense of mind is the sense that um, that relates to centre or essence. Remember with, with the early definitions of heart-mind, we talked about centre and essence. So this is mind is mountains and rivers, the great earth itself, the sun, the moon and the stars. It's Dogen's famous account of mind uh, in its vastness. And th these two are apparently very different from each other, but the reality is that when you go into thought itself, and I'm not talking about thinking about your thinking, um, but any individual thought, uh, there is no thought without a world. And thoughts don't exist independent of the rest of reality. Um, any thought seen into deep enough uh, encodes all that is there. Uh, thoughts are not separate in that sense, in the sense that you are not separate. I want to be, uh, pause just for a moment and talk about the basic practice of breath counting, which is uh, so important, uh, which is the way that we build the vessel of the way. When you're counting your breath and you count one, one, it's Helpful to extend the count a little along the breath itself. Um, this helps thought to die down. You get a little bit of space. Um, and it also engraves the practice much more strongly than one, two. Okay. So cue the count uh, to the breath. Everything gathers as... One, two, it's the peerless means to learn how to be present, uh, how to be in the moment. It's delimited, it doesn't include your thinking. Thinking is inevitable and thinking goes through it like dust in those goes through those beams in the, the beam of the projector in an old movie. Um, but it's important to keep that beam there and thinking comes and goes and that. But uh, coming back over and again. This is so important as a foundation and when you are feeling lost in your practice or you can't focus on your koan, coming back to breath is really important. Um, deeply grounding, uh, hugely honest. Without wanting to do snake oil around it, um, it's the first practice of the way and there's often a lot of joy uh, leaking in through the edges of breath counting practice.
A wonderful practice is also the practice of simply inwardly saying on the in-breath, in, and outwardly saying on the out-breath, out. It's hard to do this as in, out, just in and out. Glenn Wallace says, when he said when he was here last summer, you know, the fundamental, you know, like the fundamental requirement of this, the thing is that you know whether you're breathing in or you're breathing out. And you know most of the time we don't know that. Okay, so it's a way of focusing your attention uh, in All this is learning to be in the moment. We are all beginners and we are all babies on the way, no longer, no matter how long we have been sitting. One month, one week, one evening, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, uh, we are all beginners in that way. They say that Shakyamuni Buddha, uh, still practicing in the, the two-seater heaven, uh, um, this is the heaven of the future Buddha, Maitreya, in the old uh, Buddhist uh, pantheon. And they say, Shakyamuni is only halfway there. Uh, so it's good, it's good to see this as, as a vast enterprise in which we are embarked, uh, rather than simply an epaulette to put on our shoulder because we Pastor Cohen or something like that. So I want to just turn to Cohen's uh, briefly. Uh, I'd like to allow some time for questions for um, relating to practice, which this talk is largely about. The way that a Cohen acts on the heart-mind is mysterious. And if we work with Khans at depth, if we engage intimately with them, then our life is changed in ways that have nothing to do with our wishing or willing. We are changed inwardly as well in, as in our interactions with others and with the world at large. We find that we come from a different place and though we look inwards to see what it is, it cannot be viewed. This is the amazing thing with Zazen, that you turn the light inwards, but actually you can't see the source of what is happening. Um, there is no hidden self there either, uh, operating and manipulating your senses or owning your dreams or reflections either. But you can shine the light inwards, but uh, you do not see the source of what this is. The deep source of our activity is out of reach of our perception and our conceptualising mind. It has nothing to do with our wishing or willing. As an enlightenment student of Hakuan once said in relation to her own awakening to the way, she said, for 10,000 years the flowing spring does not know its source. Uh, truly. The long-term effects of Cohen's study on our lives, including increasing intimacy with our circumstances, we find we can stay present in circumstances that we might previously have found difficult. With realisation, the world walks through our heart as our heart. 
and we experience in measure freedom from our mean-spirited and self-centred thinking and activity that closes us down and makes us unavailable to others. With realisation in measure, we find release from suffering, from the pain and distress resulting from our deluded views about the nature of ourself and our relation to the world. Moreover, our suffering is carried differently if we can speak of it being carried at all. Finally, we may be less afraid of our own dying and more concerned about the death of those that we love. With all, we experience liberation and compassion and empathy for suffering beings. And indeed, that is there for the asking. When, that is, when it is like that, we can say with Shakespeare's Juliet, my bounty is as boundless as the sea, my love is deep. The more I give to thee, the more I have, for both are infinite. Wonderful lines that convey from Shakespeare, from Romeo and Juliet, that so beautifully convey love, but they convey the spirit of the way, and they convey the spirit of heart-mind. So I'm going to give up on trying to read this talk and just improvise and take any questions that you, you may have. Um, thank you for your attention. <laughs>